Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We are still in the middle of Holy Week, and we get to talk about some wonderful music from JS Bach today. This is going to be a wonderful discussion and a musical experience for you. So this is going to be this is going to be just wonderful. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for your support of the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. We have joining us today our our favorite resident Bach expert, uh, Dr. Maurice Boyer, professor of music at Concordia University, Chicago, and director of the American Contouri right here in St. Louis to talk about the St. John Passion from J.S. Bach. Thank you so much, Dr. Boyer, for joining us today. Always good to be with you. So before we get into all of the uh, ins and outs of the St. John Passion, what is this passion from Bach? Um, so th- this is a piece uh, that occurred early in Bach's time in Leipzig. It is the end of his first year in Leipzig, 1724. And so this is a piece that uh, would have occurred on Good Friday for Vespers. And this is something um, that, of course, still occurs now on Good Friday, right? We read the Passion mm-hmm. according to St. John, or we, uh, you know, sing a version of it. Like, for instance, at Concordia, we will be doing Karl Schock's short St. John Passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a tradition within the church that Saint, that the gospel according to St. John is read on Good Friday. And what this piece is, is uh, it's a monumental piece. Nothing had been done to this scale before. Um, and so what it is, it's the gospel text verbatim, although uh, the Bach and his librettist, I'm not sure exactly how this worked out, but added some fragments from other gospels, from St. Matthew particularly. Um, but it's mainly St. John. And then beyond that, uh, a librettist added some poetry. Um, and f- with, for that, you get, you know, arias and restatives that are commentary on the Passion narrative. And then beyond that, there's another layer of text uh, to the Passion, and that is uh, interpolations of chorale melodies and chorale texts that would have been very familiar to the congregants. And that's, again, further dialogue on the on the narrative that is unfolding. Um, from an overall structural uh, standpoint, um, there are characters in this narrative, of course. There's the evangelist who tells the story. It's sung by a tenor. And then there's the character of Jesus in the narrative, sung by a bass. Uh, and then various other um, characters, you know, Peter, the servant, the officer, uh, who all just have uh, a pilot, of course, who have their little interjections and those are all sung by soloists. And then there's the chorus that plays different roles. It plays, uh, it of course, sings the chorale movement. So it plays, it is sort of the representative of the congregants responding to the narrative, the faithful. But it also plays uh, other characters in the play, It'll pl- in, the, um, in the narrative. It'll play uh, usually the, the uh, crowd that is against Jesus. Mm. Um, so it's, it plays both roles. So it's quite a... Uh, quite a, an experience. If you've never heard the St. John Passion of Bach or the or the St. Matthew for that matter, uh, it is definitely something to uh, 
to experience, whether listening to a recording or watch at this point, can't hear it probably in a performance, too many people involved, but seek out a recording on, on YouTube. Um, it's an amazing experience. Well, we've had the privilege of sharing the uh, St. Matthew Passion this week on KFUO. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the St. John Passion in or not, but uh, share with us uh, share with us your experience with uh, this piece and how it, how do you connect to it? Well, it's a piece that's been with me for a, a very long time now. I've I first sang it uh, in my singing days mm-hmm. um, back in my undergrad days uh, in. So I, but I, so I've been around the piece for more than thirty years now. Uh, so I'm, I'm in my fifties now, and so I, uh, I started seeing this in my late teens, probably. So it's been with me for a long, na- long time now, uh, and I've sung it probably a dozen times at least, uh, and then conducted various arias from the piece. Sadly, I've not been able to conduct it yet, although I've been studying the piece for, again, for about the same amount of time. Uh, It's something that I actually do every year for uh, Good Friday and Holy Saturday. I spend time with the passions, whether it's sometimes it'll be watching or listening to a recording of it. Uh, but equal number of times has it also just been time in silence with the score, studying the the full score. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really becomes a you know part of my devotional life. It's uh, it's not just a musical experience for me. It's a real um, yeah, devotional um, piece for me. Mm-hmm. For those of us who oh sorry Andy, it's okay. <laughs> for those of us who don't look at scores the way that professional musicians like you and and my husband does this too. You look at scores and you can, what do you, what do you experience when you look at a score uh, of of just music on a page? What is that like for you and inside your head? (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, the, the experience is, uh, you know, um, is to conjure the sounds uh, in one's mind. So quietly recreating what you see on the page uh, in your inner ear, I like to say. So it's uh, it's a matter of being silent enough that you can be receptive to the music, uh, to the message that it is sending, of course, to the particulars of the notes, but to what's behind the notes as well, uh, to be quiet enough again that you can listen. Just like for, uh, for when one is reading the Holy Scriptures, uh, it's easy to come at it with a very busy mind and not and sort of put stuff into it. Same thing with music. Uh, one needs to get to the point where one is quiet enough to allow it to tell us what's there. Of course, it's filtered through our own individual sensibilities, um, but it starts with that. It starts with silence before the before the text. Share with us uh, a bit about the history of this piece. What is the uh, tell us more about the the history behind the the Passion uh, Saint John Passion by J. S. Bach. Sure. Uh, so this, uh, as I mentioned at the outset, this is a piece that was performed or for, that Bach composed in his first year in Leipzig. Um, he would have started um, on Trinity Sunday, 1723. Um, so in other words, after uh, after Holy Week and Easter. Um, and very busy year for him. He wrote a cantata just about every week. Um, whether it was a fresh piece or a revival of a previously composed piece. But, of course, one can easily do the math. That's a lot of composing. <laughs> Plus, he would have just composed the Magnificat, the first version of the Magnificat, and uh, 
a lot of a lot of uh, writing in the background. But clearly, it was he was preparing for something big uh, throughout uh, throughout the year. In any case, so the Saint John Passion first performed on Good Friday at the Nikolai Kirche in. Uh, in St. Thomas and in uh, Leipzig, he had hoped that it would take place at the, you know, the the other church at St. Thomas, <laughs> but it was performed at the uh, Nikolai Kirche. Um, so, first version of it is 1724. He's obviously a piece that he. Um, um, either was not satisfied with or loved so much that he continued wanted to go back into it because he didn't leave a definitive version of it, unlike the St. Matthew Passion, which has a beautiful final score um, that dates from um, actually not too long after it was written. Anyway, for St. John, there, there are four different versions of the piece. That's usually not known, or not known by people, un- you know, un- unless they're performers or musicologists. Um, uh, the version that is most often performed is uh, sort of a, an amalgamation of the final version and the first version, uh, sort of bits and pieces, I guess you might say. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and they would have been performed kind of throughout his time in Leipzig. Some so between 1724 and his you know, final year, uh, he died in 1750. But the, the last time it was performed was in 1749, so the year before he died. Um, mm-hmm. So um, again, I'm, I'm hard to imagine what the congregants what must have felt like when they first heard this on Good Friday. Um, so Vesper service, right? So uh, it's a piece that's a, that's about two hours long, uh, and in two parts. First piece, would, first part would have taken place before the sermon. Then it would have been probably something like an hour long sermon, right? And then another, and then part two. Uh, so a, just a vast, vast experience. And uh, again, it's hard to imagine what it must have been like to be uh, on the receiving end of such incredible depth of understanding. Yeah, that is, that is incredible. And to think, uh, I mean, <laughs> we complain when church services go more than like an hour and a half, but this is a two hour piece of music in the middle of, of a Good Friday mm-hmm. Vesper service. So this, mm-hmm. this would have been, uh, I imagine, an overwhelming experience, uh, especially as, as a new piece of music at that time right yeah exactly it's uh it's astonishing yeah so let's talk a little bit we're going to take a break in a couple of minutes uh but let's talk a little bit about uh the structure of this piece you mentioned that there's soloists and 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 different characters uh but how is the the passion structured sure so um as i was mentioning earlier there are a lot of different pieces there's uh, uh there are movements that are um straight choral movements, so just not written from pre-existing material. The opening big, two big choruses, the opening chorus and the final chorus uh, that are sort of massive resp- or bookends to the whole narrative. Uh, and then there are uh, restatives, so that tell the story in, in fast motion. Uh, and then arias kind of slow things down a little bit, right? There's little, not as much text uh, and it's commentary on the again, on the narrative. And then there are chorales that are peppered through the whole piece at key strategic uh, moments. And, uh, and that's usually where the, or not usually, but that's, that's some, often where some really significant uh, theological statement is being made, especially in the Saint, in this, in the Saint John, uh, 
the big statement occurs through one of the corrals in the second part. And I'll get back to that in one second. The one thing that is unusual, though, about the this, the St. John is that, at least in this version, uh, is that after the what seems like it should be the end of the piece, you know, another big chorus like the opening one to ma- match the opening one in scope, he tacks on, although it's not tacking on at all, <laughs> uh, this incredibly beautiful final verse of, uh, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. Uh, and it's just overwhelming that he would choose to put that um, uh, as, the, as the final chorus. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just amazing. Yeah. So we're going to dig into to all of these, these bits that you've mm-hmm. mentioned uh, after we come back from the break. We're talking with Dr. Maurice Boyer, professor of music at Concordia University, Chicago, and director of the American Contri about Bach's St. John Passion. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking about Bach's St. John Passion with Dr. Maurice Boyer. And you've been hearing some snippets of the Passion. And we'll have links to all of these in the show notes for today, too. So you can go back and reference what you're hearing uh, with what Dr. Boyer is talking about. So you can uh, immerse yourself again in this music. So, Dr. Boyer, when we went into break, we heard the opening chorus of the St. John Passion. Can you tell us a little bit more about this chorus? Sure. Yes, absolutely. What I will do first is I'll just read the text. I'll read a translation of the text. So it starts out, Lord, our ruler, whose praise is glorious in all the lands, show us through your passion that you, the true Son of God, at all times, even in the greatest humiliation, have been glorified. The great opening text and says so much. It's so rich theologically, obviously, uh, the whole paradox of uh, being glorified in humiliation, um, you know, the abasement and elevation uh, that uh, is so uh, central to our theological belief. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say briefly about this is how does the music bring all that to light? Uh, and again, Bach is always a genius at setting uh, at setting text and bringing a text alive. And so there are a few things to, to listen for when you go back to this or listen to the whole piece. Uh, the, you probably notice that there's this churning 16th note pattern. That pattern goes on in every single bar of, the, of this opening chorus. Not always in the same instrument. Starts out in the middle voices and drops below, moves around into the choir. But there's always this... Um, you could say it's maybe praise going on, but it's also something disquieting about it. Um, there's also that throbbing uh, pedal point, in other words, repeated note at the bottom that sort of speaks stasis. 
Boom, 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 at the whole way through at the beginning. So it's all creating something uh, of a sense of disquiet at the beginning. And then there's also the dissonance going on up in the in the winds above the texture. So right? I can't sing two notes at the same time. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. But um, anyway, those two notes that, that sort of rub against one another. Some someone has said that it to them it sounds like I can't remember who it was. Some conductor said that it sounds like the nails being driven into the hands of and feet of Jesus. And there is something really uh, painful about the the dissonance that you hear in the upper parts. So that's one thing that he's doing just musically, right? No text here. Um, and then beyond that, obviously you'll hear you hear the the crying of the choir, Lord, 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 the multiple cryings out of the choir. Um, again, a crowd responding, but also speaking for the whole, the faithful. And then another little bit of text painting that is again so simple in many regards, but so um, evocative, is how does he is how he depicts the whole idea of in German Niedrigkeit or abasement or humiliation, where the line just plummets down to nothing, right? From a high high placement in the voice down to something very low. Again, very simply having depicted abasement, and then immediately after that, and that's again the genius of the text too, is humiliation and glorification are not separate; they work together. Right, it's it's like it's one motion, um, even theologically speaking, right? And so, boom, it hits the bottom, and immediately it springs back up. The tessitura of the voice, again, just even being mindful of that. And in some ways, what's remarkable about the, about the music is that you, even if you're not aware of the fact, oh, it's going down for a basement, it's going up for glorification, you feel it. You feel that something has been said. Maybe afterwards you go back and analyze what happened. Um, so those would just be some things to listen for when you um, when you go back and listen to the whole piece. Is, are, are there yet any other high points that you really want to zero in on in this? Um, I know we've we've gotten to hear a little bit of the, the chorus and also the aria. Um, are there any high points that you really want to zero in on some more? Yes. So I will briefly say one thing about uh, one of the other pieces that will be posted in the notes, and that is number two. When you look at the at the notes, it's a a, a link to one of the chorales, and this is the central chorale of the piece. I mentioned earlier that sometimes the chorales are where uh, some of the most important information is being um, put forth, right, for the the, the congregant to hear. Uh, and at this point um, in the narrative, um, it's right around the time when uh, Christ is going to be crucified. The mob is all over him uh, and crying out for him to be crucified. It occurs twice in the narrative, of course, in the in the scriptures. Um, and in this case, in between those two things um, comes the... A, um, astonishing statement and it's really the central point of the of the whole of the whole passion i'll just read the text very quickly so through your imprisonment son of god freedom has come to us your dungeon is the throne of grace the refuge of all the devout for had you not entered into servitude our servitude would have had to be eternal 
And again, that reversal, that that uh, paradox, um, that through imprisonment, his imprisonment comes our freedom. Uh, again, connects back to the opening, just with different words. Um, it's a remarkable, remarkable moment. And what I will also say about that is Bach places it in a, in a structurally in a way that spells a cross. What I mean by so it's a chiastic structure, right? Cruciform structure. Um, and if you look at the at the score, you'll be able to see that. So it's surrounded by these two crucify movements, and then arias on either side at equal placement spell uh, a cross. If you were to draw lines through the score, you would see that a cross is being spelled. Um, so that's just something, again, to, to show how, how um, that shows how carefully Bach um, really um, does theology, I guess, through the music. He does it both at a local level and at a macro level. Um, the next thing I just want to say is I want to get back to the aria that you just, uh, that the listeners will have heard um, before we came back on. And so we're right now we're at the end of the passion or toward the end of the passion. And so Jesus has uh, just said it is accomplished and has, um, or it is finished depending on the translation um, and therefore, and has expired. And the, um, upon that comes this incredible aria. It's in sort of an a, a three part structure, a B, and then a short a prime at the end, return to the opening. And so I'll just read the text here. Also, it is accomplished. O comfort for the afflicted souls. The night of morning now counts the final hour. And then the B, sec- that B section, which is uh, astonishing, is the hero from Judah triumphs with power and brings the battle to a close. And then it returns again to it is a conflict accomplished being stated one last time. So, and, and musically speaking, the A sections, the ones that say it is accomplished, are slow and uh, bare. Uh, it's just one viola da gamba, so it's a very sweet, quiet sound in the viola da gamba, sort of elaborate lines. And then the alto part, and then a, a very simple bass line underneath that. Uh, so very spare. Um, and then suddenly for the B section, where it talks about the he- hero from Judah, all the strings come in uh, and it's at a fast tempo. Uh, it's like the the battle is being d- depicted right before your eyes in an astonishing way, incredibly moving. And then it returns to the opening uh, in, in this quiet, uh, in the return to a quiet tempo, a quiet dynamic uh, to sort of restate the magnitude of what has uh, happened and reverentially, I suppose you might say at the end, in a reverential mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an astonishing, astonishing moment. There are so many things that could be said about this, uh, this work. Uh, of course, I just chose these few things. Uh, and I, I will lastly say something about the final chorale. If I have time, do I have yes. time? Yes, go for it. So, um, as I as I mentioned earlier, in some ways, one expects the piece to end with a big chorus, you know, to match the opening, like the Saint Matthew Passion, right? You have the big opening chorus, the big closing chorus. Uh, what is surprising in this version, again, as I said at the outset, is that he brings in a chorale after this. Um, after the final chorus. Um, And as I said, it's the final verse of Lord Thee I Love. Um, 
And so the text, of course, is, O Lord, let your dear little angels at the very end carry my soul to Abram's bosom and let my body rest in its little sleeping chamber. This is a literal translation of the German, of course. It's not exactly what's in the hymnal. Uh, Completely in peace without any sorrow and pain until the last day. And then the second verse, which is astonishing, again, or the second part, then raise me from the dead so that my eyes will look on you in all joy. O Son of God, my Savior and throne of grace, through Jesus Christ, grant me this. I want to praise you eternally. Uh, And it ends gloriously like that. Oh, I, I, it's like I know Bach is a brilliant musician, and then, and then you talk through the passion, and it's just, it's mind blowing the the things that he does to connect uh, theology and the music together, and to make it in, an even more um, in depth piece of music uh, to experience mm-hmm. on on Good Friday is just just incredible. Any any final thoughts uh, or things that that our listeners should know or think about when they're listening to this passion? Well, the biggest thing I would say is uh, well, allow the music to just wash over you, but make sure you're, re- you're reading the translation at the same time um, to get the, the full effect. Don't just n- say that, oh, yeah, I know the gospel narrative. It's fine. Uh, while the, I'm sure that's true for most of our listeners, uh, uh, knowing what all these interpolations mean, you know, the text for the arias will not be familiar. Um and, and the chorales, not all the chorales are in the hymnal. Uh, and you want to make sure you know exactly what is going on for it to really have the, the full effect. So it can really be uh, something that enables you, uh, you, I mean, in a general sense, of course, one, uh, to enter into not only the piece, but with the help of Bach and this amazing music, to enter in more fully into this whole triduum. Uh, that brings us toward Easter. It's an amazing time for us as Christians. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Boyer, thank you so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today to talk through the St. John Passion. I know I'm going to go listen to it right now uh, in, in light of all these things we've talked about. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.